Welcome to Club Management. I'm your host, DJ Shannon. And on this show, we talk to artists, DJs, and industry professionals on how they're changing their community through music. You can listen to the show on any platform like SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. Just type Club Management. And this is episode 61. Welcome back to another episode of the Club Management Podcast. We are 61 episodes strong. My apologies last week. Oh my God, I took a little break because it was my birthday weekend. I am 32 years old now. I'm just so happy to say that the 30s are treating me extremely well. And really, really just, I mean, stoked that I have so many incredible people around me. Uh, incredible friends, family, and mentors. Um, and I just wanted to take some time out to reflect on all of that. So thank you to anyone who reached out over social media, um, email, what else? Text those who I saw in person, the love was so incredible and I felt all of it. So thank you so much. But now we are jumping into the last episode of the how to handle music business series. And I'm super excited to share this one today. We invite none other than the fierce blend queen, DJ Noir, to the show. She's the co-founder of Juke Bounce Work, an international collective of producers and DJs who have laid the groundwork in expanding the Chicago juke and footwork sound in Los Angeles and across the globe. And we've actually had two of the group's vital members here on the show before, if you remember, Kush Jones and Elise. DJ Noir has been in this music thing since the early 90s, priming her impeccable DJ chops in LA's drum and bass scene while learning from some of the greats in the industry like Goldie. Now she continues to pour that energy, wisdom, and care into her own community. She's a mama bear, a mentor, continually encouraging her crew and those hungry to excel in the music world to perfect their skills. And she does it all while churning out her own heavy-hitting mixes, touring, and releasing her own production under the moniker Phyllis Jackson. Outside of music, Noir has used her platform to speak out against some of the social injustices black artists often face in the industry. In 2020, the star penned an essay in DJ Mag that explored how language can be used to appropriate and erase black artists with the rise of the 160 movement. I spoke to the music titan about Juke Bounce Works' early beginnings, what it takes to make it in the industry, and what artists should do to build meaningful relationships. Noir also spoke about some of the backlash she received from her DJ Mag article and why it was important to address the glaring elephant in the room. Check this out. Yeah, let's get into it. I mean, I'm so excited. Thank you so much for taking the time out to um, talk with me. I mean, it's just an honor to have you on the show. Um, honestly, I'm always looking at your Twitter. You're always giving me insightful feedback on there. Um, and you have just been such a voice of reason for so many people, um, not only within your immediate community, but like internationally i mean there's so many people that look up to you because you're just a badass dj producer i mean everything <laughs> thank you so much shannon <laughs> that that is a very high compliment and i appreciate you saying that i don't know 
how true it is for <laughs> everyone, but I, I, I appreciate that that's true for you. And, you know, I, I always feel like, you know, we're, we're in a community on social media and, you know, we all tend to default to the doom scrolling occasionally and feelings of hopelessness. And, you know, there are many reasons for that, but I think we could all find space to, you know, bring light and, and humor and, you know, some, some reason and, um, you know, share resources and ideas. And I think we can all find more space for that if possible, you know, in, and, you know, we can, we can doom scroll and, and, you know, do all of that stuff too. But I think having balance relative to social media, you know, in this music and art world is really important. It's so important. And um, just like I was telling uh, someone else in a previous interview, I think that sometimes because um, the lines can get blurred in nightlife that like that humanity aspect of just people being people gets lost in this thing sometimes, which is why I really love doing this podcast because I get to know the people behind the music and, you know, their life. So really right. happy to learn more about you. Um, yeah, before we go into the history of uh, Juke Bounce work and obviously uh, what you do in the music space and in the nightlife space, what were you doing before you came to the music world? Well, you know, I grew up around music as most of us have. And from a young age, you know, my parents put me in things to do like dance and acting and modeling and, you know, things to keep me occupied. And those were creative spaces that I could express myself and, um, you know, just learn the value of responsibility and work. So I think that everything that I do now kind of reverts back to that, to just the idea of being responsible for things and um, learning how to take direction and how to express and learn what you can do. You know, when you're a kid trying to figure it all out, you kind of try everything and until something sticks. And uh, music didn't really stick for me until I kind of branched out into going to underground clubs as a raver, you know, when I was about 17. And, you know, the moment I experienced what it was like to be in that environment, and when I saw the DJs being in control of that environment, I was like, I want to do that. Somehow, I, I want to be on that side of it. And um, I actually didn't start DJing until I was a about 25. So it was quite a few years of just raving and dancing and raves. And, um, you know, I also had a, an eye for photography. So I was engaging in that way, um, you know, photographing events and, um, you know, just documenting the rave lifestyle for the first, you know, half decade. And, you know, I, eventually just got decks because I wanted to learn the craft mm -hmm. and, you know, I loved everything about raving and I just really wanted to learn the craft. And I had a job at a record store um, that, you know, I was able to get access to a lot of music and became 
um, the regional or the local buyer for a lot of the bass music, which was jungle, drum and bass, breaks um, for that store. And through that job gave me a lot of access to unreleased music and, you know, started developing relationships with DJs and, you know, things like that. So it's all, it's all, it it all happened very organically, you know, It, it just from one space to another, but it all, you know, kind of, I don't know, was simultaneously running at the same time? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, And I know you talked about uh, raving and how that was so special to you. Do you remember the first rave that you've ever went to? Yes. Um, My cousin Norm took me to a rave called Grape Ape. It was a series of raves. And that night, I believe it was like Ron Decor and DJ Dan, and it was in this outdoor alley in downtown. And it was insane. The visuals, the sound system, everybody was raving, going crazy. And I was just blown away. I just, I, I, I just couldn't believe that people, you know, outside of that space didn't know about it. You know, this was a very like underground thing. And from that point, I was just in search for the underground parties. And, you know, back then, it wasn't the internet, it was map points and word of mouth. And you really had to be in the community to know where these things were going on. So once you get in there, you know, and you get handed the flyer, then you know what the next move is. So, you know, we began chasing and following it in that way, you know, for years. And and even through, you know, the internet becoming a thing, you know, and continuing to follow it through all of this digital age. So, yeah, um, you know, (laughs) once you get into, into the inner world, you know, you, you're kind of locked in. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And it just keeps on developing and progressing from there. Um, so you're going to these raves at what point do you say, all right, I actually want to try my hand at throwing my own events. Well, you know, it um, wasn't that long. I mean, a few years, you know, in, in a, around 95, I was invited to an underground rave. My next door neighbor threw a lot of raves and uh, he invited me to a rave that he was throwing. And he said, you know, I'm bringing these guys out, this guy Goldie, you know, from the UK and this guy, Doc Scott. And I'm like, oh yeah, you know, that sounds like it might be something good. So we head out and I meet Goldie and I meet Doc Scott. And, you know, that night in particular changed my life because uh, Goldie and I, became friends. Um, We had a relationship for many years. And, you know, when the romantic relationship ended, we still maintained a friendship for many years um, after that. So he really turned me on to everything that was he was doing with Metalheads, which was a budding label at the time, um, sending me mixtapes, sending me anything that he could send me just to make sure that I was educated on this UK sound. You know, me being from America, I kind of came into it a little different than everybody else and that I was tapped into the source from the very beginning, the people that actually created and made drum and bass music. So, um, you know, for me, I, I was very fortunate to be blessed with the best of the best from Jump. And with the connection with the record store, um, 
knowing how to navigate how to get those those records into my store and working from that end of it. So <clears throat> that kind of propels you into, hey, you know, maybe I want to start throwing my own events. I've got these connections. Let me, you know, see what I can do. And, you know, we threw a few events with my roommates at the time. And of course, jungle was unknown in my city, <laughs> in, in LA. It was, you know, a very niche underground thing. And it probably wasn't until three or four years later that other um, promoter groups started to catch on, like Raymond Roker from Herb Magazine was throwing a party at the Pink and it was, you know, strictly drum and bass. He was bringing these guys from the UK and then Respect soon followed after that, you know, and they're still doing their thing 23 years later in my city every week. And, um, you know, so we threw a few parties here and there, one-offs, but nothing consistent until we formed JBW um, some years later. Yes. Oh my goodness. Um, You had mentioned just meeting Goldie and um, how this music, Jungle 160, you know, whatever you want to call it, it comes from Black Roots, and I really just absolutely adored uh, the piece that you did for DJ Mag. Um, and there was one quote that really just stuck with me where you said, artists who are using the term 160 to define their music have a responsibility to the Black artists who have pioneered the sound um, and enable them to become visible. I just, that just... It struck a note with me. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, apparently it struck a chord with a lot of people. Because, I saw that. I saw I mean, people felt singled out. You know, they felt, you know, and I was like, kind of, you know, if the shoe fits princess, you know, take a look at it. I, it's not, you know, a dig. It's not, it, it wasn't meant to be malicious in any way. It's just saying, hey, look, there are people before you. And I know that people want to innovate things and change the name of things and slap a label on it and do their own thing. But I've always been someone who really values the foundations because I came into this from a foundation. I came into it from a foundational place. Goldie, Jumping Jack Frost, these are the people that formed my taste, my style, my education in underground dance music. So I, you know, when I see, you know, new artists coming into it and and claiming to, you know, invent genres and things like that, I'm kind of like, well, you know, that that's a very uh, young mindset, you know, first of all, I say that's all coming from a place, obviously, someone who you know, doesn't know their foundations. And um, I think it's important to know that. It's maybe not so important if you're just wanting to DJ and have some fun and, and, and make music or whatever. But if you're going to enter into the realm of the business side of it, meaning DJing and, and releasing music and, you know, collaborating with people, I think it's it's your responsibility to know what you're dealing with and and know your history in this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I remember seeing some of the comments from folks that were like, what are you talking about? Like, they have no idea what they're, what they're saying on here. Right. But, you know, and then some people were like, oh, well, you know, hey, I am and the whole article stemmed from a conversation on Twitter where, you know, a kid was was we were in a conversation about the 160 sound and someone asked you know 
who Beatdown House was. And I was like, well, Beatdown House is DJ Clint. Clint is one of the founding fathers of footwork music. If, if we're talking about you don't know who that is, then you don't know where the sound that you're representing comes from. And, and, it, and I just really got fed up with it. And, you know, one of the editors was keyed into the conversation and thought that it would be a great piece. And um, so that's basically how it came about. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. I absolutely loved it. So, yes, that brings me to, yeah, the, the next question. I mean, what caused the initial spark to bring Juke Bounce Work to life in 2013? Am I right? That's right. Um, well, Darren Beckford, who, um, was, is one of, is one of my dearest friends and actually came up during the same time that I just mentioned in the Goldie era, um, when all these clubs were popping up and I would see Darren at every club, every rave, every underground, I would see him. And if I saw him, I knew that it was absolutely going to be a cracking party because he was always happened to be at the most cracking parties. And every time we would meet up, we would end up in the corner on the backstage or on the side, just chatting about music and how much we loved jungle drum and bass music and uh, talking about tracks and just, you know, and he was in radio and stuff at the time. So he had this great knowledge. And um, in 2013, once again, we, we happened to meet each other at, you know, respect the, the local a legend club and we got on the subject of footwork and Joey and I had been very, you know, really heavily getting into footwork at that time. And turns out Darren was too, no surprise there. Yeah. And we really, you know, we spent the whole night talking about it, talking about DJ Rashad and, you know, and, and tracks and, and, you know, by the end of the night, we were like, hey, I mean, if you have all this music and we have all this music, why don't we, you know, get a spot and throw a night and see what the people think of this sound? And so we did. And um, it was good. You know, it, it was something new and and people were receptive. Later on, we ended up, you know, collaborating with um, other people that you know kind of had the same interest and passion and starting the rock steady nights uh each tuesday and our idea was you know not everybody's going to be able to digest this. this is very new for the town not everyone's going to be able to digest this let's make sure we bring together other people in the community that do all sorts of bass music. So, you know, you know, we, we know dubstep people, we know hip hop heads, we know, you know, we know everybody in the community. So let's book around this night and have a central focus where we can showcase footwork. We had creation, you know, was literally living a chapter of creation was living in Los Angeles and we had connected with them. They were willing to come down and battle. And this is how rock city was born. Um, their collaboration and coming down every Tuesday night for a free party while we had, you know, other genres of music surrounding this music as a showcase really resonated with people because it wasn't a straight up and down footwork night. It was a lot of different things with the center focus being footwork for, you know, an hour or two with the battles so that people could see the full spectrum of the culture in LA. And um, I think that was a very key thing because 
at that point, you know, we're DJs and we're, you know, 15 years in deep in the DJing by this point. And we were able to bring the full spectrum of our history to Rocksteady and showcase this beautiful Chicago footwork culture. And that was something that absolutely no one was doing in this town. So that, that really, it, and it was still very niche. I mean, sometimes you'd have 30, 40 people there and it would be absolutely cracking. And you have a big night where we'd get, you know, somebody of a, of a larger name to come down, even local people, and it would just be crazy, you know? So it, it really was um, a place where people could come and hear something new and interesting. No one else was doing it. And it was a, very much a who's who of the city. Like you would go there and you would see, you know, all your faves, all your fave DJs would be there. So it was a great networking opportunity. And, you know, we had everyone and we included everyone. Yes. That's what I love so much about the label and what you uh, all are doing in LA is that there seems like there's really this uh, foundation of community at the core of all of it. I mean, even with the compilation, right? Like, constantly inviting different sounds, different people to contribute to uh, the compilation every time you guys put one out. And it's just absolutely amazing. Oh, I mean, it's, I, my, my ethos is that JBW is for everyone. Mm. I don't even know how we would even be here nine years out without the participation of literally everyone around the world um, contributing contributing their music, their energy, you know, to this platform. And, you know, when we started, we were like, well, how can we, you know, other than doing the parties, how can we expand and, you know, showcase this around the world? And that's when we came up with doing a top 10 Tuesdays, every Tuesday to coincide with our music night. Cause everybody, you know, a guy in Austria can't attend rock study, but he can submit a mix of his 10 favorite tracks in a 15 minute mix. And we can put it out every week. And that really extended the community connection online. Um, and then this was like peak SoundCloud era. We're talking, you know, 2014, 15, where everybody was on SoundCloud and we were all obsessed with it. So it was a right place, right time. Everybody participated. I mean, from your, you know, guy in his bedroom, who's like the coldest DJ in his country (laughs) that nobody knew about to RP Boo and DJ Clint. And, you know, so everyone through their, their support and participation behind it, and it was very special. And also it's a, it's a way that we discovered a lot of the early artists that were making the sound, a lot of great DJs that we otherwise would never have heard. Um, a lot of them over the years had traveled to the States and come to Rocksteady as a destination. I mean, we met so many people through the series. Um, it just, you know, and and to see some of these people actually like blowing up and, and doing great things. It's amazing. You know, we, we don't take credit for it, but we definitely feel like we played a, a positive part in exposing the, you know, the work 
Yes, and helping to cultivate the, the talent to you. I mean, I look at Kush Jones, for example. I just ran into him the other day and oh. yeah, he was talking about how he was tired because, you know, he just did that long uh, Euro tour and then he's about to go on another tour soon. And it's just been incredible to watch his journey in particular and how humble he remains throughout all of it. I mean, I, I just respect him so much. I mean, I mean, he's he's getting a thousand headlocks if he doesn't stay humble. I always saw him. I mean, really, he's ready for the ass kicking if he if he loses that humility, because it is the thing. And I always tell the boys that is the thing that's going to carry you through all this bullshit, you know, because someone's always going to have something to say. Someone's always going to have, a you know, a, a hater pill that they're on or, you know, someone's always going to have some issue. You have to stay humble and do your work. Ten toes down, put your head down and do the work. That's it. That's all you need to be responsible for. And Kush, you know, he's very focused. You cannot knock him off his square. And he is um, an amazing artist. And I say one of the most important artists of his generation. I've been screaming this since he was a baby kid. So I, I, my heart is full seeing the artists that he has created in himself, how hard he works, the ethic, the honesty, um, the transparency. This is an artist that, you know, we should all be, <laughs> you know, giving flowers to every day. It's, it's not it's not common um, to have someone, at, you know, of that magnitude doing great work and someone we can rally behind. That's a good person and that deserves everything that they're getting. Yeah, very true. Um, so yes, now that we're on the topic of just remaining humble throughout all of the bullshit that sometimes happens, <laughs> let's get into some like etiquette that I think folks just need to know about or brush up on if they're not really in tune with it. Um, one of the things that I asked my last guest, and I'm sure, um, you know, with the compilation work or even organizing events, at some point you have to tell people no in this industry. Um, and it can be very difficult telling people no. Um, but how do you go about doing that if, you know, let's say someone wants to submit a song to the compilation, but it isn't quite a right fit? Um, how have you learned to just say no in this industry? Um, I tend to go the extra mile and tell them that it's not a good fit for me, but I know someone that may be a good fit for and steer them in that direction or send it to them myself. Um, and then we also talked about just how do people, newer DJs or newer artists, how do they go about approaching people like yourself or, um, you know, booking agents if they want to inquire about potentially doing business? Well, you know, there, there's a way to do it and there's a way definitely not to do it. And I see every way you can imagine. Um, what, what touches me most is someone being very genuine and very brief. Um, you know, when we open the call up each year for JB Dubs, um, I really love getting the emails along with the submission. And I love the personal stories about how, you know, their music journey. I mean, it doesn't have to be a volume, but a short, you know, um, little essay about 
how you came to be. And I, and I just always find it so endearing and heartfelt when I read some of these things, when, when they talk about how much the, the collective has inspired them and how it would be a dream for them and, and, and being like, Hey, if not, that's, that's cool. I, I support y'all anyway. I think that's just a, a great attitude to have that I realize this may not be a good fit and it may not make the cut, but I love what you're doing and I support it no matter what. And I, I, you know, it it makes you feel like really good that, you know, this is somebody who's going to keep working hard and, and that that's a good space to be in, not feeling entitled, you know, to, to that opportunity and, and being able to let it go. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, I think social media gets tricky when it comes down to, you know, talking about business online, because again, I think those lines can get really blurred between what's professional and what's not (laughs) when you're using social media. (laughs) Um, what's a good way for people to reach out via DM without being like super weird about it? Yeah. Well, don't, don't just hit the DM and be like, hi. (laughs) And that's, that's very weird. I mean, you know, sometimes I've been in a bad mood and somebody just says hi and I literally block them. I'm like, this is weird. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's just like nothing else. Just hi. You know, that's that's not the way. Introduce yourself formally, you know, just say, hey, what's the best way? Uh, how do you like me to send the submission? Is, is this okay? Is the email okay? What's the best email? And that usually always works and gets you in the door. I listen to everything. I listen to everything everyone sends me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will give it my ear um, because I know the potential that's out there. You know, when we open up JB Dubs, there's hundreds of submissions come in and I listen to every single one. Yeah, I think you mentioned something so great. It's like you can use social media as that first initial entry point to kind of introduce yourself. But I think it's so important to have the conversation then travel back to email or just some mm-hmm. sort of other platform because then it can get kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, I say if it's professional and you're trying to do business, use the email. That mm-hmm. is business. Email to me is we're talking about business. Mm-hmm. DMs to me, we're talking about personal. I mean, you can kind of transition through, but really, when once it hits the email, then you're, you know, it's more professional. It's, you know, it lets somebody know that you're serious, that they're serious. And also, like, I know I've had this done to me many times where people don't even talk, you know, say what they're going to say in the headline of the email. And it's just like, hey, or <laughs> it's just very vague and you don't even know what you're opening up, you know? So, right. Right. No, I'm never going to open that up. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I'm never going to open that up. <laughs> so yes, I would say be clear about what you're even contacting the booker or whoever you want to do business. Well, with. Yeah. You don't hit somebody on their email even and be like, yeah, you guys need to really book me. Mm. You know, you have to have some kind of an email etiquette, uh, uh, a candor, I guess you, you would call it. Um, in your email. And I, and I wish a lot of artists would learn, you know, a little bit about internet kind of communication basics, you know, what, what, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. Some people could really use a little bit of just knowledge on, on how to formulate an email. 
you know, and I, and an artist too. Um, I think it's really important if you're really serious to, you know, uh, customize your email signatures, make sure that everything is there in your email signatures, all your social links, um, everywhere. I don't, you know, I get so many emails. I'm like, you don't even have a Bandcamp link here. You don't even have your SoundCloud link here. You know, put all of that stuff in there. It's really important. It looks professional. It looks like you're about your business. And I can click on it and, and investigate more. That is very true. Um, Linktree, obviously, is a really good yeah. If you want to keep everything in one place and have a link to your SoundCloud, your Bandcamp, whatever have you, I would recommend that. I really love Linktree. Oh, yeah, it's great. And keep everything updated. You know, if you're not affiliated with certain labels or crews or whatever, make sure you update your stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, make sure that uh, everything is, is accurate, current, up to date, because people are if people are looking for you, uh, you know, promoters and labels and things like that. You don't want and, you know, writers, obviously journalists. You definitely want to make your sh- sure your stuff is together. Mm-hmm. Um, I really loved a tweet that you had put up a, a couple of months back about taxes and just how <laughs> you know, I don't think a lot of people are thinking about taxes and how to sort of legitimize this. Um, yeah, turn this into an actual business if they want to be DJ or do music in general full time. Right. Um, for me, I actually started an LLC in 2020. Um, just so I could just make things official. Um, and an LLC is uh, a different, like a kind of business structure for those who don't know that you can use to house all of the creative things that you're doing with um, your DJing and, and whatever have you and, and make it official. That's right. And you want to definitely, if you if that's the road you're going down, save your receipts, save everything, pay your quarterly taxes. You don't want to have to deal with the government on their terms. You want to deal with them on your terms. That, that's one thing. You don't want them to come chasing you because if they're coming to chase you, they're coming for it all. And I've known people who have been in a lot of trouble not filing taxes for years upon years upon years, and they will get you when you get to a certain amount of money that you're making they will come for you don't think that they won't so just (laughs) start at the beginning get your ducks in a row file your quarterly taxes get the llc if if it makes sense for you i know for some people maybe it doesn't make sense for them but you'll know when it makes sense for you if you're you know (laughs) you're gigging every week and you're making more money per year than the average person's day job yes you probably need to get an LLC and do things legitimately. If you're getting paid cash under the table, most gigs and, you know, most of the time, okay, maybe, maybe you don't need to, but once they're 1099 in you, you need to start thinking about going legit. Otherwise, if you have a, a day job, regular day job, like a lot of us do, you can navigate that issue a little bit better. You're already paying taxes. You have a day job. You're able to, you know, as a, as a person, as an individual, you can throw your 1099s in there with your regular personal taxes. But, you know, like I said, when you're getting to a certain level, le- level you're going to have to legitimize. Yeah, yeah. Because they will come. They will come for you. That, that, that's all there is to it. I'm telling you, look, I, for um, really quickly, for those who don't know what a 1099 is, can you quickly explain what that is? It's, you know, anytime you are paid by a corporation or a company and they ask you for your W-9, they're going to 1099 you, which is send you a tax form. 
so that you can pay taxes on that money. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I had a really terrible horror story with debt <laughs> for years. Like I would say about for like three years, I wasn't paying taxes as an independent contractor for a company that I was working for. And not like, you know, not like maliciously or anything. I just really didn't know that. <laughs> so here I am, I'm following my taxes one day and they're like, Hey, you know, you owe about like three G's in taxes. <laughs> I'm like, no, I, you know, I just thought I didn't have to pay. And I got a very rude awakening. Now I'm good. I've paid all the money back, but that was, I'll never do that shit again. I'll let you know. Right. No, you don't, like I said, you want to deal with them on your terms, not them. You really do. Cause they will come for you and start garnishing your wages. I'm telling you, I was I was starting getting the warning letters like, hey, uh, you, you owe us money. No, you make any money at like a regular job, they're going to take it. You're going <laughs> to get your check and it's going to be like gone. I'm telling you. Yeah, I think that's the, for me, it was just not knowing that, okay, you actually have to pay taxes yourself. It doesn't come out of the check. That's um, right. Yeah, you've got that's to pay right. get a good Get a good accountant. Yeah. You know, if you get or get, you know, someone, an uncle, a friend, whoever to, you know, help you with those things if you're not, you know, but the, the Google is gold. You can you can figure it out. But yes, so, some people get to a level where they actually need an accountant on their team to help them, you know, sort all of these things out. Mm-hmm. Uh- and yes, I would say save your money as well, because if you are going to be doing this full time, um, you know, you might have to potentially cover for health insurance, right? Um, that's oh, yeah. Something, yeah, that's something that um, I think a lot of, yeah, a lot of us just don't think about. No, a lot of people don't think about it. And, you know, I've always worked and and I, I will continue to work. You know, I'm not of, of the luxury of being able to do music full time, but if I did, um, I would have to be doing it at a level that I could cover my health insurance that I could put money away from retirement because the DJ has zero retirement coming. You're not paying into anything. If you're not saving, you're not, you're not getting social security. If you've never had a job, you're not, you're not getting any of that. So your hopes are to make it big. So you don't have to worry about this stuff, but let's talk about the percentage of people that are actually going to get to that level. It's not. So you've got to figure out how you're going to take care of yourself. And we can't like go fund me our way through life and retirement. It's it's just not going to happen. Yeah, it's very true. And look, I mean, we didn't see a pandemic coming and like totally just no. nightlife for a year and a half, you know? Like- exactly. No one was prepared or financially prepared. Some people were, but most people weren't. You know, and, and I'm, I'm grateful that we've all come, you know, to the other side of this, but, you know, it was grim for a lot of our peers um, who just did not know what they were going to do. And, and some who are musicians in their core heart and soul have never had a job. They've never had to worry about, about that. So, you know, it's um, I think it it woke everyone up a lot and hopefully they're a lot smarter about their money and they're they're putting things in place and being responsible by uh, protecting themselves a little bit better. Oh, is that the donkey in the back? That's Taco. Yeah, she's upset. 
You're not getting the attention. <laughs> it's so cute. Um, oh my god, Taco's so cute. I love all the pictures. Oh that- god. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, let me grab her. <laughs> I love how we're both on doggy duty during the interview. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this baby too. Oh my god, he loves his attention, rubs 24-7. <laughs> But yeah, okay, so now that we are actually on the topic of pay, um, yeah, this one has been actually in in the pandemic, that was like a huge topic on Twitter was, you know, payment, fees, what's acceptable if you're just starting out or um, how to just go about negotiating fees in general. Um, What has been just your way of going about this throughout the industry? Um, and what kind of advice would you have for folks who are just kind of emerging in this space? Um, how do they go about just negotiating? Well, I think um, the first thing that I that I tend to tell my children a lot um, is that know where you're at, you know, before you start demanding fees, you know, know where you're at, know your level of experience, know what, uh, what you have brought or bringing to the table versus everyone else. Because I mean, admittedly, there are seem to be a million of us out here. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you can't just come out three months after learning to DJ and start demanding a thousand dollar gigs. It's just not, it's not reasonable (laughs) to, you know, kind of show, you know, what, what is the value, you know? And, and I think people just get um, caught up in what they, they think that they need and they're not really looking at where they are. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, look at the work. You know, um, how much are you gigging? Are you making music? What, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's pretty easy to see when you look at your peers, who's doing what and where and where the value, uh, you know, I'm not, don't necessarily agree with the industry's quote unquote value system and how they deem some DJs worth X amount versus that. That's something that you need to kind of look in yourself and say, really, honestly, let me be honest. What is the value of what I'm bringing to this, you know, event or show or what, what am I doing? How, you know, have I put in the work? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of self-reflection there when you, you know, are negotiating fees mm-hmm. because I've heard some things that are just like outrageous. Um, <laughs> I just go, okay, you know, I, Hey, if you can get that great, but I, I wouldn't bank on that. I would, I wouldn't think that you're going to sustain your life on that. Um, you know, um, it's, it concerns me when I, that we see the, uh, the disparity in fees between male DJs and everybody else, (laughs) you know, that's still a thing. (laughs) It's still very much alive and well, um, but I think, you know, from what I, I, I don't know if it's me creating the world that I want to see, you know, because I, I'm associating with, with people who want to see equality and equity in a scene. So to my, you know, in my rose colored glasses, I feel like things are getting better, 
You know what I mean? But is it that I'm just surrounding myself with people that that um, are more transparent and more fair? And, you know, am I, you know, what, what's really happening on the other side of that? Because I'm not engaging or involving myself, you know, with people that, you know, want to lowball DJs and, you know, want to treat us badly. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't I don't know. You know, it's um I think you you should know your worth. When you say know your worth, it's kind of a mixed bag because some people are completely unrealistic <laughs> about their skills, you know. It's like if you're honestly, and you know, I mean, I just shoot from the mouth on stuff, but if somebody's paying you a thousand dollars an hour to DJ, I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear any train wrecks on the blends or no blends like you know and i've seen it i've heard it i've seen it so you know please be on point thousand dollars is you know some people think oh a thousand dollars is a low fee it's not it, it's it's a fair rate for an hour it's an hour of your time if you're telling me a thousand dollars for an hour of your time is shit money you're delusional it's crazy oh my goodness that is a fact <laughs> i think Yes, I think if you are doing the work, you definitely need to get paid. Like no freebies. That is like that was no, main, no. main things coming into this was like I'm not going to do free work. I'm putting in the work. I'm still getting better as a DJ, but I know for a fact I'm not going to do this shit for free. <laughs> That's right. I mean, and you know, at this point, friends aren't even doing free things for right. friends. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're your friends, it's it's work. You know do what you can do, negotiate something that's fair. You know, we're, we're no longer taking advantage of friends. Do you think there's like a reasonable fee that people should shoot for? I mean, it really depends. Like, you know, for live streams, if, if you should be paid, I think, you know, 150 to 200 bucks isn't unreasonable. It's not unreasonable because we've paid that. We paid that for people to guess on a live stream depending on, you know, the situation. Um, I, I think that we're, we're not doing $50 gigs anymore. Mm. You know, I think $200 is a minimum mm. to come out of your house and to, you know what I'm saying? Curate music, buy music, everything that goes into what you have to do to perform. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's kind of a bare minimum. Yeah, I agree too. I think 200, I would even say 300. Should when be you're good. starting, you know what I mean? Like that's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. If, 50, if 50 bucks was the opening DJ fee 10 years ago, you know, it's it's got to be $200 now. It's 2022. <laughs> wow. 50 bucks? Really? Yes, honey. Oh my God. People See? would definitely be offering $50. Oh my God. I never knew that. Back in the day. Yes. Oh my you know, when you would do it for homies, it went, okay, 50 bucks, fine. But now it's like gas is expensive. Everything's expensive. The price of everything's gone up. People cannot afford to leave their house for $50. Yeah. You literally can't even, what? You might be able to like fill up some oh gas, but. <laughs> you, live in New York. you live in New York. You open your eyes in the morning. It's $200. <laughs> Backed with inflation, yeah. Well, literally, like. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! It's not a joke. It's serious. It's you know. So you gotta, and I feel like if you can't afford to to pay that, then you probably shouldn't be really throwing a party, right? Like. Yes. Yes, that is really the key. That's the the truth of it all. 
Um, but you know, when you do come to some sort of agreement with whoever you're throwing the party with, um, I know I do this. I normally issue like some sort of performance uh, agreement or a contract, if you will, for people to sign so that everything's written in stone. Mm -hmm. um, do you do that as well? <clears throat> um, it depends. You know, if it's like uh, a brand or a, a big platform, of course, you have to have a contract and, you know, everything should be signed when you're talking about homies. Um, I've been very fortunate to just work with people that value me as an artist. And I have not have really had to have that many conversations um, about it. Uh, I just feel really blessed to, to always surround myself and go into business with people that I like and respect. Mm -hmm. And it's mutual and, and it's always fair. Um, but, you know, with these brands, like, just stick it to them. They have the money. Like, don't play. You know, like just and get it in writing and and, you know, make sure the paperwork is good. But, you know, with your friends, they should be valuing you enough to, you know, give you the, the money worthwhile for you to come and do the job. Mm -hmm. But even that gets tricky sometimes too, right? Because I mean, I can't tell you more times than not how, how many times I've like tried to do things with friends and maybe something gets lost in, in communication and things mm -hmm. power. Uh, I think that's the dangerous part about this business is that sometimes doing business with friends can get really complicated. Oh God. Yeah. People fall out over $50. Believe <laughs> me, I know people have been falling out for 10 years over a hundred dollars. You know, it's kind of ridiculous, but you know, like I said, when, you know, and the best way when we go back to talking about an email or approaching somebody about a booking, who's a smaller booker or whatever, honestly, just lay everything out in the email. Say, how much is your budget? How much are you, are you going to pay? What's the situation? How many people, you know, and, and do you want to do it? And it's all laid out in front of you. And all you have to do is say yes or no. Mm -hmm. that is That's the agreement. Yeah. yeah you yeah. can negotiate from there and say, hey, you know, could you give me a little more? Give me a cut of the door or, you know, you know, what other things are going on? You, it's open for you to do that. But when someone approaches you, I think they should just lay it all out and the initial communication so that it's there, it's in writing, and then you're agreeing to it. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just a person that likes to keep things extremely simple. Right. I don't complicate my communication with anyone. Everything is very direct. Um, and I think people need to learn those skills to be direct. Mm -hmm. And if something feels funny or not right, just say it. Mm -hmm. Um. The last person that I spoke to said, uh, if they could give an advice about just how to negotiate, they would say, don't give the first offer. Obviously, wait for the person on, um, you know, the promoter or whoever's organizing the event to give the first offer. Mm -hmm. what, is, what is your uh, thought process on that? I think that's great. Mm -hmm. um, because sometimes when somebody hits you up and says, okay, what's your rate? You know, some people will say, this is my rate per hour. And that's it. They're sticking on that. There's nothing. End of negotiation. It's done. Mm -hmm. I'm personally a little more open. Tell me what your budget is. Tell me what, what your situation is. Mm -hmm. You know, I did a gig recently. It, it wasn't the, the highest fee ever, but 
but the the idea, the ethos, the people that were involved, it was a very different kind of party, a different venue. And I took it for way below my rate because I wanted to play the party. Sometimes it's a situation like that where you just want to play the party because you want to play with, you know, the lineup of people that's going to be on it. Um, so for me, it really varies. I will play a party for way below my rate if if I believe in the ethos of the party. Um, when it comes down to international travel, um, what are some things that DJ, DJs should be keeping in mind or artists um, when it comes to doing business internationally? Again, clear communication. Um, it helps if you have relationships with these people. If not, I hope you have an agent who can navigate that for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have done it both ways. We've done it with our own interpersonal connections with people, and we've also used an agent. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's obviously much easier with an agent to manage all the logistics for you, mm-hmm. uh, to handle your flights, to handle the fees, to get the deposits, to make sure that everything is connected in a realistic way. Uh, doing it yourself can be very labor intensive and you have to trust the people that you're working with because you wouldn't want to be left out in the cold on a canceled gig with no accommodation. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I've heard horror stories from people that I know. <laughs> about just that. So really, you you know, you have to navigate this with trust. I mean, I'm very big on this. I'm very big on making sure to the best of my ability, it always can go awry, that you're working with people that are solid and have integrity and are transparent, mm-hmm. you know, and, and when you're going to travel abroad and do business with people, you have to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes it's a lot of email chains back and forth, back and forth, back and forth for months mm-hmm. um, before you can lock something down. Mm-hmm. You know, Kush will tell you it took him over a year to organize his last tour. Wow. You know, he had that time and a lot of things fell through the cracks and things had to be rescheduled and done and overdone. And he had a lot of help, mm-hmm. you know, so it's not easy to just decide, hey, I'm going on tour. And, you know, fly by the seat of your pants. You really need to be organized and have communication chains and, um, you know, be realistic. Mm-hmm. Manage your expectations. That's my, that's my number one mantra. Mm, I love that. I love that. Um, and, you know, I, I just think I, I love that so much because I, I feel like, again, that, Sometimes people feel like as though they're entitled to things in this industry and you can get humbled very quick oh, <laughs> Go yeah. into the room thinking that you know everything and you really don't. So mm-hmm. I love that piece of advice so much. It's a very um, important piece of advice because it translates to every aspect of your life. Mm. You know, um, how, you know, some someone doesn't show up for you or, you know, isn't there in the capacity that you expect that and you feel hurt by that. That means you need to manage your expectations. You can't control what's going on in somebody else's life. And maybe you need to look and say, hey, what am I expecting from this person that they're not able to give? What, what was I expecting from this promoter that wasn't, you know, um, cleared with communication by myself? Yeah. Oh my goodness. You know, you got to look at what it is that you did, said, or may not have done, said that contributed to 
you know, that outcome. Oh, I love the, so many gems just dropped in this episode. It really is about personal responsibility, honestly. It, it really is. Like, and, and now we're getting this whole like DJ shit. Like, you really have to examine the, your level of responsibility because you're responsible for your trajectory and having a career doing this. You're responsible, not anybody else. Like, people can get in your way. They can get keep, they can get in your way. But one thing we have done as, as a collective, as JBW, every time that has happened, we've kicked in the back door. Mm. We've made it our responsibility to not let any of that stop us from doing the thing we wanted to do. Mm. Mm. And that's it. on us. That's not on anybody. Yeah. It's not anybody's fault, you know? Yeah, you literally, you created your own lane. <laughs> you have to. No one's going to create it for you. People will hand you opportunities here and there. They'll extend their hand to you and help to, to push you up. And those people you want to keep around you and you want to support them mutually. You know, that's very important that the people that are supporting you, that you do your best to extend that support back to them. That's very true. Um I would say just to kind of piggyback on that, if you're asking, you know, to be a part of Duke Bounce work or, you know, to go to any sort of event or, or play with certain people, I would say go out and support those people before you even ask, right? Like know what they're about, know what they're doing. Um, and then, you know, after you've established some sort of relationship, then maybe ask, you know, hey, can I be a part of it or play? But the first thing is to get to know the people in the scene and, and really become a part of the community. Absolutely. You don't just come walking in the front door and be like, hey, everybody, here I am. <laughs> you know, respect me, pay me, do this for me. You know, that's just not, you know, people tend to resent that kind of stuff and just kind of ignore you, which builds resentment on the other end. And the next thing you know, you have a superstar hater on your hands because they had expectations that they didn't manage. Mm, that is a fact. Oh my goodness. Well, quickly before I let you go, <laughs> um, I love this. Thank you so much. <laughs> Um, what was like, tell me about like how the nightlife is, uh, in LA now that things are, uh, you know, opened up and like semi back to normal. I don't even know. You no, know, it's really, I, I had to say it's really coming back stronger than how it was left. To be honest, um, I've attended some great events this year. I played some awesome events this year and there's a lot of new crop of promoters, coming through and doing some sick parties at very unique venues and, and inclusive lineups. And, you know, I'm just seeing a huge change from pre-pandemic in my city. Um, new faces, new DJs, you know, uh, it's, it's really exciting right now, actually. And um, I'm just, I'm here for it. Yeah. Yeah, I've been loving it. I've been watching you um, on Instagram and Twitter, uh, all the shows that you've been involved in. Um, and then Bebe, obviously, she's doing really great mm -hmm. uh, hood rave. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, my I goodness. Mean, all, and, and, you know, the women, they're out in front. They're doing a lot collectively, banding together, collaborating, um, creating spaces for their peers. And I love seeing that, you know, I, I love seeing that. 
Yes, we too. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. Um, if people want to just find you on social media and learn more about you, where do they find you? Um, I'm on all the socials on uh, Down by Default, D O W N D F A U L T. No E, Down by Default, no E on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I'm not really on Facebook that much anymore. Um, so it's basically those two. And of course, Juke Bounce Work is on all the socials as well. Um, SoundCloud, Bandcamp, uh, IG, and Twitter. Coming out of the interview between me and the DJ Noir. So special and so much history, knowledge, and wisdom packed in this episode. I really hope you all were listening. A uh, big shout out to her for taking out time to come chat with me. And thank you guys for listening. Apologies again for taking some time away from the show. You know, I just wanted to challenge myself to really deliver more incredible programming to you all. So I actually just started brainstorming some new ideas. And I'm just trying to think of a way to incorporate video content into the podcast. Um, You know, I will be honest, I really don't like being on camera, (laughs) but it would be cool to share some audio clips either for Instagram um, or Facebook of me in action with my guests um, talking and chatting. So if that is something that you are interested in and you want me to incorporate that in the show, let me know. Drop me a DM um, on my personal Instagram or the club management Instagram. You can even email me at clubmanagementllc212 at gmail.com if you have any suggestions. Uh, But hey, maybe you like the show as is. That is also helpful too and appreciated. So please let me know. If you are a supporter of the show, we have a Patreon. That's patreon.com slash clubmanagement1 if you'd like to join. Uh, We will be back with a new episode on July 5th. Until then, peace, love, and God bless.